0: Wednesday night edition of the pod and we've got a lot to talk about here to be sure and I think of course we're gonna have to start with this crazy Sixers story read the entire article for sure uh, on the ringer Ben Dietrich uh, amazing amazing job with this story but essentially I don't even want to say allegation because they don't specifically take a position on whether in fact it was Brian Colangelo with these accounts or not but Colangelo There's evidence indicating that he operated five anonymous Twitter accounts. These Twitter accounts tweeted stuff that if it were proven to be Colangelo would certainly be grounds for firing. I think there'd be clearly no way that you could ever come back to that stuff about Joel Embiid, how they should just milk him because he's not the future of the franchise and it's Ben Simmons and all this inflammatory stuff about Okafor and his physical and New Noel being a cancer and, and just a... An incredible amount of stuff here that there's just no way that if, if a GM were found to have made those public statements that uh, they could hold on, he could hold on to his job. So uh, I think probably the place to start here, Danny, is you know what is the evidence that indicating that this was uh, in fact Colangelo? And again, I, I'd recommend that you guys listen to the podcast that Ben Dietrich did today uh, on the Ringer NBA show. Uh, that Derek Bodner and Rich Hoffman did a great job on the Sixers beat talking about this today too but just because you know this is a, a national NBA show nba show and we feel the need to kind of just bring you up to date here what is the evidence indicating that this is in fact brian colangelo
1: well so there are a series of kind of interesting connections in the way that dietrich researched this story that make it a lot more compelling to me and so what happened is it really relates to these five twitter accounts and what happened was they kind of there were some some commonalities in terms of what they what certain accounts followed and people that had looking like they had connections to Colangelo. And like it was an unusual cross section of things is a good way of putting it. And so the, the part the first thing that struck me as like, oh, this is really interesting was early on Dietrich, but well, not early on. I think it's on May 22nd. He emailed the Sixers and brought up two of those accounts. One of which ended up being the one that they eventually admitted. Brian Colangelo does run that account. To be specific, was did never tweeted at all, and so it it was not involved in this behavior. But again, was a part of the process, and it followed a lot of things. Colangelo admitted to it. It was a way of monitoring whatever that 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 part of it was there. But so what's really interesting is they mentioned he mentioned that account and the what's called the Eric Jr. account did not mention anything about the other three that they were that they suspected were involved in it, and yet. D- Later that same day, within hours of the call, all three of the accounts that had not been mentioned were moved from, from being public to being private, which involves access to the tweets. And that, to me, is very interesting. That does not necessarily mean that it was Colangelo, but I think that means that it was somewhere within the sphere, because I doubt from the ringer's stand, you know, from Dietrich's standpoint, that he spread the net anywhere beyond it, and so it was just whatever circle learned of that of, of those two and had that connection. And that's the first thing that I'm like, huh? This is this is might be a bigger thing than I than I originally thought it might be.
0: And that is probably the most damning evidence that these were, if not Colangelo, someone very closely associated with either him or the team. I think the only way that that would not be the case. Is if a and Calangelo has said basically, someone is trying to set me up. He has now actually texted that to Jordan Schultz, which it doesn't seem like a great idea to me. Uh, that you would probably want to just have one coordinated response uh, and voice here. Uh, I don't know why you would just send like one short text to a media member, just uh, along something like that. But in any event, that apparently is Calangelo's position now that he's being set up. And but the only way that that would dovetail with this idea of those tutor accounts being deactivated on the same day that the Sixers were told, because that just seems like too extreme of a coincidence would be if perhaps Dietrich was in communication with this anonymous source who initially told him essentially, like I think that Calangelo is running these accounts back in February. If Dietrich spilled the beans on his little trick, which I thought was pretty smart actually uh, of telling the Sixers about it and monitoring the other three accounts and that whoever it was who's operating those accounts found out from Dietrich's side rather than the Sixers side that there had been information given to the Sixers and they shutdown shut down that seems unlikely to me I don't I think Dietrich would probably be smarter than it to let the source know that he was doing that
1: right and then the other part that gets complicated with this is and this I think is the most concerning element not as much for me the criticism of the players though I don't love that is the potential release of secret information through Well and Twitter. that's what's so damning yes.
0: about this too. I mean that's probably the second exactly. most damning piece of evidence other than the one we just talked about the accounts being shut down is the fact that there was this apparent level of knowledge Uh, that and you know guys like bodner have said hey you know we're around the team we didn't report a lot of this stuff but uh we'd had other information indicating it was true like that level of knowledge is another thing that would would indicate that if it's not colandula it's certainly someone around the team who knows this stuff
1: right and so there there is certainly a subsection of people that would have the requisite information but it's hard to see somebody who who can check all of the boxes you know, maybe. Maybe, and this is just speculation, but, you know, like maybe a family member, depending on what kind of relationship they have there. I mean, that's, you know, sometimes people talk about their work in that sort of a circumstance, maybe. But it's it's a small circle, to be sure. And it, it's concerning. And then the other big part of this that I think is... Worth, You know, kind of getting at in the early section here is the element of trust. And I I just was thinking about this because I was writing the and just published the OKC offseason preview for The Athletic. And what I wrote about in that was in relation to Paul George, it doesn't necessarily matter. What the reality of OKC's season was, whether, you know, Robertson being out really sabotaged their season. And if he had been there the whole year, they would have been a championship contender because at a specific juncture, all that is relevant is what the parties involved feel. And that's where this gets really complicated because... Yeah. Theoretically, there could be some sort of mass exoneration. It could be you could some, something that shows, okay, maybe this account was Colangelo, but then the other ones were not, and he was trying to be set up, something like that. But not only for Joel Embiid, Markel Fultz, those players, but also the Sixers have max cap space. They have all these things going on. And so even if it ends up being unfair we're a month away from free agency that perception could really matter
0: oh yeah i I want to talk a little bit more about that too i mean if we kind of after we kind of wrap up the idea of like whether it actually is him, him or not um so let me ask you this what are the most plausible explanation explanations for this let's rank them One, you know give us our top three most plausible explanation for this story number one for me is that it's him would that be your number one
1: my number one would be that maybe not all of them are him, but that they're people closely enough affiliated where it's functionally, you know, not that different. Like it could be a family member, something like that. I would have that as number one and then all all being him number two.
0: Okay, so the family member thing, what about the fact that, you know, these accounts are following all these people who are specific to him? So you're saying that if it's a family member, that family member decided to mirror who colangelo's account oh that's a good point was following and that you know would brian even say oh yeah by the way uh you know the phila one through seven account that i use that's actually me so maybe you would say that's me you know i followed you with that you know my son or whatever i followed you for university of chicago basketball though there's indications that it wouldn't be his son because some of the tweets were sent when he was actually playing in games uh but yeah i mean it doesn't really if it's just some family member it doesn't make sense that they would be following all of these exact same accounts. That that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah,
1: well, I maybe that was just my interpretation. I didn't know that all 3 like it's it's those 3 accounts I think primarily that I didn't realize maybe that was just my misinterpretation that all 3 of them basically fall uh, yeah, the same Yeah, I'm not sure that it is like,
0: all the same and the implication was that there were of the story is that there's was significant overlap with a lot of these uh, and, and then also yeah. not only yeah,
1: and then the the recovery number and all yeah that yeah, kind of stuff.
0: And, and also with the uh, you know the verbiage that was used is very similar across all the accounts as well. Um, so I, I, I to me I, I think it's more likely than not that it was him. Um, I don't know that to be true. I can't prove that. But so number two would have to be someone close to him, family member, or maybe someone else in the Sixers organization. And then number three is, you know, that this was some kind of intentional long con setup that, you know, let's keep in mind, these accounts were tweeting back from, like, 2016. So, like, this would be, like, a two-year con job. Uh, and then that that person got in touch with Ben Dietrich in February and set up. I, I I do the identity of this source. You know, I'm not sure that this, like, oh, you know, I was just in AI and I, you know, care about the Sixers and just happened to notice this. Like, you know, that, that does seem a little fishy you know that's probably the the fishiest thing that you could point to and make it say okay maybe it is a setup uh because it's uh not necessarily something that holds over like oh yeah you know i just decided to do this analysis and it just turns out that uh, uh this person seems like it would be colangelo and like uh, that's how the anonymous source got to that point if the anonymous anonymous source weren't somehow involved and close to the situation you know that that strikes me as a little bit less likely but uh so uh, and believe me i'm not saying like oh yeah it's obviously him you know they should fire him Uh, well i think they probably should fire him we'll get to that part too but uh, regardless of whether it was him or not, frankly, because Deserve ain't got nothing to do with it. But, you know, I'm not saying that it's, like, impossible that it's not him. You know, I think – but I, I do think that is the most likely explanation at this point. Is Are there any other possibilities for – how this could have come about that we haven't talked about in those three kind of general scenarios.
1: Not that I can really think about. It. I mean, I guess maybe it could be a column of like it could be partially some and partially another, but that seems weird given the you know saying the word and all of and two of the other three getting taken down. Like that makes me think that it's more it's more within one net rather than being like a, a mix of column A and column B. Let's say
0: the other thing too is I have to admit it, and. Other people have talked to a lot more people around the league than I have about this. have kind of said the same thing. It's like this story is certainly surprising, but it's not that surprising. Like if you had to if you had to say, all right, this story happened, pick an NBA GM who is who did this. Brian Clangelo would be at the top, if not at the absolute top of this list. He definitely is known for having rabbit ears. That is even more pronounced now that he's in Philadelphia and he's succeeding Sam who who is a darling of at least a, a subset of the fans and media that covered the team and just you know their general ineptitude from a pr standpoint and the the way that that pr has both been completely ineffective at times and also indicative of a desperation to try to control the message at the same time as being ineffective you know that very much dovetails with with this and for all those who say all right it can't be him you know this would just it would just be too stupid it's too crazy I'm not going to go at the, oh, it's 2018. Look at all the crazy shit like this. Nothing is too crazy for 2018. I think that's just, you know, that's a little bit too nonspecific for my taste. But certainly we have seen that a characteristic of the social media era is a desire to defend oneself and just to get all of this criticism and have a way to respond, even if you know intellectually, all right, this probably isn't going to change things that much. But just to like, there is a feeling that people have it. I mean, and, and I have experienced this many a time when I get criticized on social media and there are times I wish I could have done a better job of just not responding, but there is a very human desire when you believe that people are misunderstanding or the narrative is going against you to want to respond. And, you know, whether this, whether this Twitter account with 25 followers or whatever, tweeting at media people whether he rationally thought that that would actually have any difference we say hey ask Julius okafor whether he failed this physical on the trade or not whether he thought that was actually going to make a sixers reporter do that or whether it was just cathartic to be able to do that i don't know but there certainly is a feeling uh, and that we've seen borne out with a lot of public figures of wanting to respond to these sort of, uh, of allegations uh, or i shouldn't say allegations but just uh, narratives that go against them publicly
1: Along those same lines, for in the modern era of social media, this must be a very hard time for those who had rabbit ears even before this, because there are just so many voices out there. And one of the challenges, I mean, you and I are much less public figures than an NBA general manager that you have to deal with is that there are there are people who dislike you. There are people who dislike your work, and it is much easier for them to get a platform that could even theoretically reach you. than than was possible before. They don't have to take the time to email you or, you know, anything like that. It can be, you know, just saying something on Twitter. It, It can be something very easy like that. And so if you are attuned to that and that matters to you, it it's very easy for that noise to feel loud. And then you remember what Sixers Twitter is like and the feeling of, support for hinky and so and, and in my opinion justifiably so because i think Hinky did a very good job we've talked about that a lot on the show so i can see how someone would not only perceive that that genuine frustration as being being large but also want to do feel feel like they owe it to themselves or just that they should stem the tide if they can and I I do. I am sympathetic for it. I do not engage with with those trolls. I I understand that they exist and all that, but for my own purposes. But I understand that that is very unusual. And it took it takes self-control and restraint for me to do that. It's not what I want to do. It's what I think is best overall.
0: And this isn't an unprecedented story either. Kevin Arnovitz related a story uh, on the low post today about how there was a Clippers staffer who clearly was a commenter on Clipper blog and then
1: oh uh, there's the warriors one uh, too
0: yes is that public i forget i believe yeah, so but 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 anyway it, it's uh it, there are certainly at least two instances that i know of of nba staffers using anonymous accounts back in more the internet message board days to try to influence things a little bit and it's just you know again like uh, there's no point to it like you're not going to change the way people think o- uh, about it necessarily all right let's do a read we got more to to talk about uh, on this though right after this from Sonos I've really been enjoying a, a number of aspects of my Sonos one is just the voice control especially when you're in a situation socially where you don't want to just like be buried in your phone and try to put up a playlist or something you can just do quickly voice control play an artist connect your Spotify to it and now you've got some great background music for your your social gathering the other thing I've just been so impressed by with them is the incredible sound quality I think a, a big part of why that is is that actually when they come up and set it up with your up and running service, they actually take an iPhone around the room. The Sonos will emit a series of pulses. The iPhone listens to those pulses and how it sounds in various parts of the room. And then the Sonos can actually optimize the sound to your specific room. We have a kind of an acoustically difficult house. And a lot of the rooms are different. You can really tell the difference before and after they did that treatment. We've been watching... Uh, A lot of star trek the next generation at home they uh that opening theme song sounds amazing uh, on the the sonos setup and while they are really easy to set up this up and running service that they have will do it for free if you live in any major metropolitan area they will have a trained expert deliver and set up your system absolutely free if you go to sonos.com all you have to do is select up and running at checkout if you qualify right now sonos is offering our listeners 10% 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Gotta make sure to let you know that. But the promo code here is gonna be a little bit different than the usual code. It's Dunk 10 D-U-N-C-10, D-U-N-C-10 at Sonos.com. Enter that Dunk 10 code to receive that offer of 10% off one order of $2,500 or less. At sonos.com let them let us know let them know actually with and, and let us know if you like the product actually i, I always appreciate those tweets if you buy something and it and you like it a lot of times we'll use those in the next ad but use that promo code dunk10 to let them know that you came from us so here's my next question what would it take to prove to you that brian colangelo was not somehow culpable whether it was through him or, or a family member or someone close to him on the Sixers staff, what would it take to convince you that there's no culpability here?
1: I think it would take a direct thread, like a direct proven thread to something else. Like, For example, if the recovery email on that account, like on one of the accounts that actually tweeted, was to something that that we knew he didn't control, ideally if we knew who did it, like that sort of a thing. It, yeah. and well, but, but how are you going to prove that, the... uh,
0: unless someone admits to it, how are you going to prove that he didn't control that?
1: Well, I mean that—that's what it would be if it was, you know, whatever that you email could be. Maybe other people have dealt with that account. You know, there, there are—it would be very yeah. hard to do theoretically. I guess there is—I mean, the easiest way for me to believe that somebody else did it is if somebody else admits to it. But yeah. I, I, you know, I don't necessarily expect that. Especially if this was a long con, I would guess that that person would do, theoretically, would do enough to cover their tracks for long enough to make this like just kind of stay around. You know, I, I, th- that's the person who would probably be more diligent about it rather than, you know, somebody who kind of got caught in this.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's going to be difficult to get definitive proof that it was him. But I think it's also very difficult to get definitive proof that it wasn't him. So I mean what could he do? Maybe he could say, all right, here's every device that I have used, laptop, phone, iPad, whatever, over the last three years. I'm going to hand this over to some sort of forensic investigator and that person is going to go through all these devices and conclude that i never logged into any of these twitter accounts or never did any of these tweets now that's an indication that it wasn't him but there's still you know maybe there was some other phone involved maybe he went to maxi Martin and got a burner phone or something like you know there's still that's not definitive proof it, it might help you a little bit uh maybe that if there were some sort of like situation where he had to be under oath and and testify about this under penalty of perjury. I'm not even sure what that could be. You know, that's another thing, you know. People lie under oath all the time, of course, but that uh, at least could be someone helpful, someone else coming forward or and saying, "Yes, this was me." You know, that that might do it. Uh if that were in fact convincing and that person had some sort of a proof that it, it was actually him, maybe that could get you there. But, you know, anything else to, that they could do to prove that it wasn't him?
1: Not that I can think of and just in the ways that people can cover their tracks on the internet i'm I'm guessing forensic people can do a better job of it and also there's the question of what information of that can be made public like for example you know i i know that they can log information in terms of where an account you know you know like the the ip addresses and all that but i don't know that twitter would make that information available to any private party that is trying to prove that it's not them like, that, you yeah. would go down a real slippery slope if that's what you're trying to do. If you're trying to prove that it is you, yeah, maybe in a specific circumstance that could actually work. But, I mean, yeah. that that would bring about a bunch of dangerous As, as
0: I understand it, the only ones who are going to, at least in any kind of near term, who would have access to the account information there are, are the account owners. And, you know, maybe if some sort of legal proceeding were initiated and there were a subpoena to Twitter – There would be a way to get that user information. I'm sure that would be a big battle. Twitter is probably not very interested in setting a precedent where you can get that information from them. Uh, But now let's just get to the realities of the situation. I mean, this is all forensic investigators and reports and the Sixers are doing an investigation and all that. That's all well and good. They got a draft coming up. They got the biggest free agent summer probably uh, in the team's history coming up here. So whatever conclusions are going to be found here, whatever investigation is being done, I highly doubt, A, that that investigation could be completed before, you know, in less than a month, month and a half here. Number two, that any such investigation could reach a definitive conclusion as of that point. And so given all that, if you were Sixers owner Josh Harris, what would you do right now? What would your reaction to this be right now?
1: Well, I would definitely want to talk with the players that are still on the team that could be affected by this. And I will note that my interpretation of the the Jaleel Okafor workhorse one was actually that it was sarcastic. But I'm not entirely Jaleel sure. Okafor, and there are a lot workhorse of other, one? you know. Sorry, sorry. The the the, the Joel Embiid one. Oh, oh, when where he's it's like, like yeah. oh, we can world. Let's just, just
0: run him into the ground because he's not. He's gonna be a part yeah. of the team. For, for uh,
1: an, another reason why it's bad to to use sarcasm on. In text-based form, unless it's so obvious or somebody knows your knows your context. Anyway, let's get get back to it. So I would talk to those types of players because that their opinion is important here. Well, and, and Joel already tweeted
0: they- if this is true, it's really bad. You know, and, and I think I think he right. kind of reading between the lines. I'm just guessing here that that initial tweet, which was absolutely hilarious by the way, in which he said mm-hmm. uh, Sam Hinky is smarter than you, and he used the the he, he added the burner account uh, with that. But then he, he had a statement to Woj. I'm sure someone got to him and said like, all right, Joel, you got to just like stop going off here and be a little more measured. So he talked to Woj and was like, yeah, you know what, like I'll got to take him as word that it's not true for now. But if it is true, that'd it be bad. But I mean, it, number one, the players, that's a, a major issue. But, you know, just number two, uh, uh, having to being able to deal with other teams it, is huge. Uh, the free agent aspect, of course, too. I mean, that's that's probably even the biggest part of this. So just you know, LeBron James, are you're going to try and trade for Kawhi Leonard, or you're trying to get Paul George, or you know, whatever they're going to do with that 27 to maybe even more million in cap space. Also, just whether even you're willing to have someone who's clearly this unhinged continue to be involved in your your organization, whether you whether it's true or not. But ultimately, I think what I would do is. Treat it similar to like the Danny Ferry situation after he uh, made those racially inflammatory comments uh, about Luol Deng. All right, we're gonna put you on administrative leave until this investigation is complete, and probably you're just gonna have to go off uh, into the sunset here. Because uh, l- let's just put it from this perspective, right? Even if this is totally untrue this is always going to be a massive stain on colangelo's career there's always going to be a lot of questions about it i as we said i'm not sure what proof you could eventually come up with especially if it hasn't become if it hasn't come forward by now right like they've known about this for over a week now and they haven't come up with a, an explanation such as you know it was a family member or something like that right it's just colangelo doesn't know what's going on no one's it, with the sixers seems to know what's going on if they don't know now the only way they're going to find out is through some sort of really long lengthy investigation and then maybe they're never going to find out so with all that being the case i think you got to get him out of the picture as soon as possible here because just the downside of leaving him in you know don't fire him because you you know you don't know whether this is true or not but the downside of leaving him in there now is just so much greater than the upside i mean is brian galangio is just such a genius that having him instead of someone else running things is like going to be so much value added that it outweighs the negatives. I, I don't think so.
1: Well, and we haven't talked enough about the other just massive complication here, which is that his father is is an important part of this organization as well. And to me, the decision on what to do with Brian Colangelo is a Josh Harris decision, even if and and I mean, especially considering his dad and everything like that. But that makes all of this more complicated. And and what role? does the family connection play in all this it's it's just jerry's jerry's part is going to be fascinating here too
0: yeah jerry is a special advisor to the managing partner <laughs> as of now he's yeah. listed on the sixers masthead um potential temporary replacements there are not really anyone who is experienced at the gm type of mark eversley was just relatively he's really number 2 on their masthead he's relatively recently elevated he's more of a scouting guy ned cohen is kind of more of a cap administrative guy than as much of a basketball guy a lot of people obviously left when Hinky left they've got alex rucker who is their director of analytics and oversees this enormous you know three million dollar per season analytics operation that was uh given a hagiography in the philly papers a couple months ago but you know i'm not sure that there's anyone that pops out as like all right this guy is like Clear GM material, but you know, I still would rather have Mark Eversley making the decisions. Maybe you can kind of bring in an experienced hand as a consultant really quickly. But I, I just, I don't see how you can continue to leave Colangelo in there. I think you just, you have to put him on administrative leave now, pending the results list, because it's just, it's not going to get any better, and it's just such a, a distraction too, having around, to having to deal with all this stuff instead of actually doing your jobs. You know, I'm, I'm usually not one to talk about distractions but when it gets to the heart of the relationships and, and that are involved in the trustworthiness of the individual involved and people having to deal with him and there has to be a lot of trust to get any kind of an nba transaction done whether it's a free agent transaction a trade a draft pick i just i don't see how you can have him running things for the next month or two and the downside of that is so much greater than the downside of just you know taking him out of things for a month or two, and and you know what he can c- continue to just kind of you know as long as he's not the one making the calls, maybe he can still kind of be around and have some conversations with the guys or or, or whatever. And hey, what do you think of this? What, and blah, he had blah.
1: a hand in. in- he had a hand in picking everybody else on the staff. So right. you can, you know, it's kind of like when a, when a coach has to take a leave of absence, yeah. you still see their impact on the process, even if they're not making those those kind of minutiae decisions. Oh, so just, just for my own amusement and because I saw, it, I saw it on Twitter and I'm just like, oh God, that would be so perfect, is I don't think David Griffin would be interested in that kind of consultant role. But considering who the free, one of the free agents is and the acrimony with which LeBron responded to David Griffin's ouster, that would be pretty amazing. I also think that if Colangelo has to be fired, Griffin's professionalism and relationships around the league would actually yeah. be make it, him a very natural. He's also pretty
0: experienced at dealing with like completely ridiculous PR crises.
1: Mm-hmm. And 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 as you said, I mean, I think the biggest part of this that everybody needs to get a sense of is the timing. The timing here is just absolutely brutal. Draft is in a couple weeks. Free agencies in a month. But the the research that goes into that, the conversations with agents, that it didn't just start now. It started months ago. And everything that happens from here is is incredibly challenging. And the stakes are insanely high. So that's why this matters so much. That's why we spent more than a half hour on this is because it's important.
0: Yeah. and Again. Yeah. Oh,
1: and also, and and all, and also the six the sisters extended extended by brown another three years
0: <laughs> yeah it was posited that that was like something to try to distract from this
1: ah no i don't think it did
0: <laughs> so and, and uh, my prediction for what happens here is that it will be a danny ferry administrative leave type of thing i don't know about them bringing in another more experienced guy as a consultant necessarily but i think it, it just it has to End this way especially as we go further and further and there's no clearly exculpatory evidence and and just in the difficulty of finding that exculpatory evidence uh, as well I mean really the only way that he could even get his job kind of back would be if it is somehow proven that this was just this long con like two years long thing that that someone was trying uh even if it's someone close to him I think there's just no way to uh to get past it especially because you know that that now if it were someone close to him you would think that that would have come out already by now but it for whatever reason it hasn't uh is that your prediction as well or do you think it ends up differently than the way i do
1: i think that's where it ends up but i i'm not sure that it goes there right away I think that could end up being this, if it takes another week or so for that to happen. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, I, then... I think
0: that that would be a reasonable time frame. Any longer than that, though, I, I would be So If it's yeah. two
1: weeks, then it's, yeah, I mean, as we get close to the draft. And remember, the Sixers have the 10 pick. This isn't a year where just because they were so good, they're only picking in the 20s. No, they have the number 10 pick in the draft. This matters.
0: Man, how hilarious would it be if, like, those accounts, like, started tweeting again? That would be <laughs> that would be pretty funny. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the, the utter hilarity of this situation is is pretty good although you know i i will say that while colangelo's uh, is not my favorite in the circumstances in which he got the job is not my favorite if this were for some reason a a setup i would feel extremely bad for him um but yeah uh, and i do think it, the hilarity of oh wow sam hanky is embarrassing the organization we got to get rid of him oh uh, well you know i think they might wish to have sam hanky back uh, right about now um all right, should we talk a little Boston Celtics off
1: here? Well, I'll give you the choice. Do you want to do a little bit of news because we have? Oh to yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Let's do that. That's, that's a good idea. Then we could do a read before Celtics.
1: Yeah. So I would say the biggest piece of news outside of that is Orlando hired a head coach. They hired Steve Clifford. It is reported by Woj as a four-year deal, which is what you would expect in the circumstance. We don't really have many any more nuance than that. And Clifford, it's notable, has connections to both the Orlando Magic as a franchise because he was an assistant under Stan Van Gundy, and to the front office because he interviewed for the Bucks job when he ended up taking the Hornets job. So there was some familiarity because the Bucks personnel, you know, they're the the Bucks front office people then are the Magic front office people now. And you and I talked about it when Clifford was was fired in Charlotte that. We hoped he would get another job. I think he's a, he's a good coach. And we would get clarification in terms of what parts of Steve Clifford's M.O., as we know it, you know, low turnovers, traditional centers, what parts of that are just inexorably part of Steve Clifford as the head coach and which parts are not? Because the Orlando Magic have a lot of uncertain pieces, particularly in the front court.
0: Yeah, I'd be interested to see if he can get some more out of Nikola Vucevic, in particular defensively. And this is a guy who, granted, in a different league but actually crafted decent enough defenses around Al Jefferson, sort of a similarly offensively tilted big man with slow feet. So yeah, I want to see if he can be successful. He's probably the best experienced coach on the market. There had been talk, I think it was from Mark Stein, that Kelvin Sampson was featured prominently in the process. But this seems like kind of a good compromise because of his Orlando connections. We know certainly that ownership, that CEO Alex Martins have been very active in coaching searches before in particular with scott skiles and but then also as you mentioned there are a, a few connections to milwaukee so that four-year deal relatively typical you know it's probably uh a, th- a four minus one meaning that there's a team option on the end that's kind of just what these coaches are unless it's just a real premium candidate which uh clifford is not so that leaves us with it leaves us with detroit still open
1: detroit and toronto right.
0: and there's uh in detroit This weird situation where they brought in Ed Stefanski. I'm not sure what it was about Ed Stefanski's resume that made them think that he should be some consultant. And now Stefanski is bringing in who? Bernie Bickerstaff and Jim Lynham to, you know, not exactly the cutting edge of NBA coaches and executives necessarily. You know, these are guys who were cut their teeth in the 90s and have not really been, you know, I think Bickerstaff has been a scout recently Lynham I want to say has been doing like Philly TV. So that this is going to be all three of these guys now are consulting on who the new coach is going to be and they're going to the first reported interview that they're going to have is Kenny Smith. So uh that doesn't bode too well uh, so far. We'll see. Uh, maybe they'll try a little better, but certainly Smith's TV persona while he's certainly a, the adult in the room from a strategic standpoint compared to Barkley and Shaq on that show, I, I still have not been Particularly impressed with his strategic job. so uh, be interesting to see where that ends up.
1: Well, and re- and remember that the Detroit coaching job is a very challenging one tactically because they have so much tied up in their two big men in blake griffin and and andre drummond griffin has been a better jump shooter recently and those guys both want the ball up but then you have a point guard like that that's a hard job and they have some time pressure because of the money they have tied up and everybody else so i think you want to get somebody that hits the ground running rather than somebody who has never been a head coach at any level though head coaches from any level jumping from tv have had a mixed success rate oftentimes with the Golden state warriors because they did it twice with their most two most recent jobs
0: what else we got here
1: this happened a little while back, but Doc Rivers got an extension. We don't have the exact terms of that, but but I think that is a small piece of information that would lead some to believe that the Clippers will not go through a full teardown in the immediate. There were other reasons for that. I mean, they still have Danilo Gallinari under contract. I just think Doc Rivers wouldn't sign up for that because he could, he could be interested in a lot of yeah, other I'm jobs. Yeah, I'm not sure if he had and, any
0: other options, though, at this point, though. That would have been better, even if they maybe. are going to do a little bit of a rebuild potentially. But I, but I think more that they're trying for the 2019 cap space, you know, maybe they right. take and, a...
1: and it. And I think that would be yeah. smart for them if they do that. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll see with that. And you can't really read too much into it. The one that surprised me, and it might just be that I missed something. Andre Robertson underwent a knee scope on Tuesday, May 29th, so a couple days ago. And it was elective to proactively relieve synovitis, And they expect that he will be back uh, you know, he's on pace to be back for the beginning of the season. But, you know, after the other issue that he went through, I, I was a little bit surprised that this kind of came out of nowhere. I
0: mean, it sounds like he had been developing some swelling in the course of his rehab from that torn patellar tendon. And the party line is, well, better to have this surgery now so that if it doesn't resolve, I mean, and, and swelling is so difficult, right? Like, you don't, sometimes you, you can just build up and then your knee is strong enough and it won't swell anymore but i guess the thinking was hey it's going to be rehabbing still anyway better to just have this surgery now continue the rehab try to be ready for train camp as opposed to now you're maybe this will go away but it's going to complicate your rehab and then if it doesn't go away now you got to have the surgery again at the start of train camp so i think a lot of this has to do with the timing, but not a great sign especially and torn patellar tendon not quite the death knell that achilles are but you know you're I think you probably would rather have a torn ACL than a torn patellar tendon, uh, at this point, uh, James Johnson in Miami. He's had hernia surgery shortly after they were eliminated from the playoffs. So presumably he was playing with that throughout some portion of the end of the year. And then, but you know, that's a six to eight week type of surgery. So it shouldn't affect his availability for next year. And PJ Tucker, it was revealed today with their rockets exit interviews that they, he played game seven after getting three root canals, uh, it didn't even tell his, his teammates about it. And then also, Tuman Fertitta, we speculated about you know his willingness to pay the tax, but I think Maury and Fertitta both spoke today, and, and there seemed to be an indication that they are willing to break the bank to, to try and keep this team together. So that's certainly a good sign for Houston fans, at least in the short term.
1: Since we just talked about it, and we're actually recording this right now, the, a little ad- addition to the Detroit Pistons coaching search, Woj is reporting that Miami Heat assistant and deep michigan connection haver juan howard is going to interview for the job as well oh ah,
0: well, i like him better than kenny smith uh all right one more quick read here and then we'll talk boston celtics off season. and that read is for a service that you danny have used quite a bit stamps.com
1: yeah i mean it's different for our our business we do so much through the internet you know it's 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 nice it, it definitely changes our changes our cost structure and everything else like that but when you write a book a book is hard copy and sure you can it is available in in kindle form and ebook form as well you can you can buy it that way too if you want but a lot of my friends and family wanted hard copies and of course i went through you know and signed and all of that a lot a lot of different copies of the book and those all got sent to me by the publisher because that's the way this works and so that meant i had to send them out myself and stamps.com was a great solution to a problem i had never really had to deal with before of how to get a bunch of things out that was both convenient with my schedule cost effective and it really delivered i was I, i've been incredibly impressed with really every phase of of the process from scheduling pickups to getting a scale to weigh the packages and getting it out inexpensively.
0: Yeah, they bring all of the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. They'll even send you a digital scale so you can calculate exact postage. They'll help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. You don't have to lease an expensive postage meter, and there's no long-term commitments at all. Right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer, including a four-week trial, plus postage, and a digital scale. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in that familiar Capspace code. Easy to remember, we talk about space all the time around, especially this time of year as we're doing these off-season previews. That's Stamps.com, enter the code Capspace, and let them know that you came from us. All right, let's talk about Boston here. By We can start with a general idea of their financial picture only one major free agent at least this season and that is marcus smart who is a restricted free agent and if they were to bring him back for say 13 million dollars that would put them for next year right about at the tax so it's difficult to imagine maybe if they don't bring back smart they could use their full mid-level exception But I think they probably would want to bring back Smart and and they could even potentially dodge the tax, which I think they probably would be keen to do just because they're going to be likely a tax team for a long time going forward after this year. But maybe they might feel like we need to add some more players and we're not going to dodge the tax. It would be tough to do it because other than Smart, I mean, there's really nobody on this team. You know, maybe Gershon Yavisele is someone that they could just figure out a way to dump. Uh, but other than that, they kind of have this roster set, and they need all these guys.
1: Yeah, the Celtics, I've written about their lack of filler before, and it, yeah. it's a limitation in terms of some of the big trades that they could do. You know, maybe you can make the math work on certain things, depending on which young guys they want to include, but it is a real challenge, and those same things are in place in terms of shedding money for the luxury tax, that the guys they have are the guys they want, and a lot of those players are at reasonable contracts. So, it is a, a a real challenge there and another one that i find particularly compelling you brought up marcus martin we'll talk about him a little bit too is aaron baines so aaron baines oh yeah that's
0: right i did forget about him as, as another free agent sorry yeah
1: so he so he is available they had him but he he's unrestricted and they only have non-bird rights and so that means that his hold is also the maximum he can make while using that exception which is five point about 5.2 million What's also interesting about that is 5.2 million is almost exactly the same as the amount of the taxpayer mid-level exception, so it's 5.3. So if he's not willing to take that for them, whatever duration—I mean, I don't know if they, if he'd want one year, if they'd want one year, whatever that would be. If he wants more than that, either Boston dips in—they use basically the, ta- the non-taxpayer mid-level exception, which hard caps them and everything else, like the Rockets did with P.J. Tucker, or they just have to let him go, and— they can you know there there are other centers on the market but I thought Baines did a wonderful job for them this year and there will be a ton of supply but I'm not sure there will be anybody who fits it as well as Baines did
0: yeah certainly uh, Baines especially with this burgeoning three-point range he's shown how real that is remains to be seen but that makes him a lot more playable on offense And then defensively, somehow he morphed into one of the better defensive centers in the game. Like his ability to move his feet in the playoffs was really quite a revelation for me. Despite not being able to really jump, he's got that big chest. He's got good help instincts. And yeah, he gets dunked on all the time, but he also, that's because he's in there protecting the rim. And he also was a panacea for their defensive rebounding problems. Uh, Now he can't finish anything around the rim, but I think certainly he's a guy who they would want to bring back how many years it would be. You know, because uh, Baines is going to be 31. He, he came to the NBA pretty late after spending a couple of years overseas. What would your offer be to Baines if, if you were the Celtics? You know, offer more than one year? I mean, I, I think it's a no-brainer to offer him, you know, just the 120%, which would be about $5.2 million, 120% of what he made last mm-hmm.
1: year. Yeah, I would do that. And if he wanted to, maybe do the kind of Milos Tejozic style give him a player option or some sort of thing for the next year but maybe not fully guarantee it maybe two million or so of that I think that would be totally fair and probably be enough to get him to stay
0: yeah we'll see I'm not sure who else would be in the market for his services and he would get some pretty good playing time they they have to get another center they also got Greg Monroe who you know didn't really seem to work out especially as a guy in the playoffs you basically would be bringing him back for essentially the Regular season to just soak up some minutes. And I think Monroe would probably be better off going elsewhere. They could pay Monroe actually up to $6 million as well with his non bird rights. Because remember, he got $5 million out of that disabled player exception, which was, uh, ended up not being a great investment. I thought he was a disappointment there. But, you know, maybe I would offer Baines a one plus one at that type of money. Uh, it also, it, a lot of it depends too on just how intent they are on dodging the tax. Because in 2019, Kyrie Irving, if he's going to be brought back, he's going to get about a $10 million raise. And now there's just, you have no way of avoiding the tax. Horford will be making $30 million that year in the last year of a player option, which he might actually, you could see maybe it'd be possible he opts out of that and they kind of go, you know, Pau Gasol style of like, mm-hmm. give him a longer deal for less annual value. You know, Maybe you could see that happening, but that's, you know, we'll see how he plays next year. And then Gordon Harrod will be making $33 million. Um And also I think another advantage of bringing back Baines would be having some of that salary fodder that you talked about for potential trades although you know there really doesn't seem to be anything in the works yeah. this offseason the way we might have and, thought there would be
1: and that would be an option for giving him more than one year because if you give him one year then he would have a veto
0: uh yeah that's a a, a good point too um and, and, and yeah, or, or maybe it could be something you know you mentioned the partial guarantee so maybe it could be you know the second year partially guaranteed for like two million or something like that um
1: But let's talk about the trade possibilities. You, You got into that. And the challenge, I've nearly written on this about 10 times, the challenge of figuring out any sort of superstar trade is the issue of supply. Because teams that have, you know, the next James Harden trade has to involve a team like Oklahoma City that is willing to trade their James Harden. And it doesn't look like New Orleans is particularly keen on moving Anthony Davis, at least this summer. Kawhi Leonard, you know, that's a conversation we will have in the near future. That will be possible. But remember that if the Celtics were were to be interested in Kawhi, they would certainly have the assets. They would have a great pool of assets, depending on what they're willing to offer. But I don't think any deal there would happen without some sort of indication from Leonard that he would be willing or even, you know, As committal as it can be allowed under the rules to a contract, because otherwise you're not going to pay that for a rental. They already didn't do that for Paul George and Kawhi is. They're at a much different place now, and the players that will be included in the deal are much more established.
0: Yeah, and I also think they just they kind of want to see what they got with this team now. If they can bring back everyone, and certainly the idea of trading Gordon Hayward, I don't think you would have to be in in that deal. You know, they could probably if they put in one of Braun or Tatum in that deal. You know, that's probably the only way it happens. Maybe if, if it's known that Leonard wants out, that his value just goes down so much that maybe you could do it with like that Memphis pick that they have. And obviously they have that Kings pick that they could trade also. Um, so they have just, I mean, it's preposterous how much ammunition they have still. But you know, I, I, if you're going to rank their assets, it's either Braun or Tatum, one and two, Kings pick, and then Memphis pick probably are, are you know, their four premium assets going forward. And I think they would want to avoid giving up either Braun or Tatum in that deal.
1: And a nice job not getting into the who's better, Brown or Tatum, because, you know, we haven't dealt with that enough this year.
0: <laughs> and I still don't really know the answer to that either. Um,
1: yeah. And, and it's also our opinion on it is is often different than a GM. And remember, that's the beauty of in the eye of the beholder here is that, you know, maybe maybe theoretically San Antonio has a strong preference there. Maybe Boston does. Who knows? Uh, that's uh, that's a part of this. But so, yeah, I, I think it's a possibility because if Kawhi gets on the market, the Spurs would probably want to move him right away because the the value just diminishes so quick if he's a potential rental, you know, if you get any of the season. There are the injury risk things, so it's possible they just don't get good offers and they hold on to him for that purpose. And but outside of Kawhi, you know, there have been these murmurs about Carl Anthony Towns. I don't I mean, of course, if there you could make an argument like if he were on the market, the Celtics have a bunch of assets. He would be an intriguing fit with their team. Then they wouldn't have to deal with all the financial the financial stuff in terms of the near term. So yeah, sure, if if that comes to pass, it comes to pass. But outside of those guys, I just don't I don't see that many game changers that are going to be out there.
0: Let's turn now to Smart's restricted free agency. He had a comment in the media that he feels like he's worth more than twelve to fourteen million. I do not agree with him, particularly in this market. What team is going to offer him more than the full mid-level as a restricted free agent? I really have no idea. And if you're going to offer the full mid-level, you're just not even going to do that anyway because Boston clearly would match that, both because he's a valuable player for next year. I mean, I do think he is the best defensive guard in basketball, but his offensive limitations are quite pronounced. So, you know, if it were another market, if this were 2016, yeah, I'd be talking about $16 million a year, but not now and so I'm not sure where this goes I, I would say that I don't think it'd be the absolute end of the world if he just takes the qualifying offer from Boston's perspective just get him for another year there's no way that you can have both he and Rozier on the team long term Rozier's extension eligible we'll talk about him in a second so I let me ask you this now Dan we've talked about this with a lot of these restricted free agents what is your offer at the start of restricted free agency to Marcus Smart if you're the Boston Celtic
1: so with him I don't know that I would be as, you know, I, I don't think getting a fifth year is super valuable with Marcus Smart. Oh, one funny thing about this that I, I found out when I was researching my piece. Marcus Smart and Terry Brazier are almost exactly the same age. I think they're two weeks apart. But because Smart came into the league a little bit earlier, he's you know, one year earlier, he's, you know, hitting, hitting the market a year earlier. I would probably think about something more in the, like, three years... Thirty-five range would be where I would go, and I know he wouldn't take that, but I think that's where I would go, and then just say, "Hey, if you want to, if you want to beat this offer, just do it."
0: Yeah. Good luck to you. Yeah, I mean, maybe you might go for a fourth year, but yeah, I mean, I, I more than eleven million a year, I don't think I would make that offer because a big part of getting him is he needs to be tradable on this contract. Like, you can't have a contract that's not tradable. Like, you you want him to be a value, and you know, this is a team that's still probably realistically. I think needs one more piece potentially, Uh, you know, they they would still, you would want to have just one absolute superstar, whether that's AD a year from now, whether that's Kawhi, whether it's whoever the next trade target is. So I I think I would hold firm. And then if he wants to take the qualifying offer, he can take the qualifying offer. What about Rozier? I I think I've alluded to this. I think his value is never going to be higher than it is right now. He's making $3 million a year or $3 million this year, I should say, then we'll be a restricted free agent he had a pretty good playoffs although he fell off quite a bit in that cleveland series at times but i think they're probably if there is a team out there that values him as a potential future starter before he's going to get properly paid if you could get you know a decent first round pick for him right now i would be all over that and and then that and that assumes that you can bring back smart too because you know Kyrie. i doubt they're going to want to play him more than 30 minutes a game and so they'll need a quality backup point guard option but I, I think keeping both Smart and Rosier going into the year is not an optimal use of resources. So I, I would try to move Rosier now if you can't get much you can't get that type of an asset for him, okay. But when especially when you look at the fact that with their salary structure, keeping him at you know starter level of money going forward, especially when he's not gonna be a starter, your starter is probably Kyrie Irving, doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. Sell high on him would be an optimal strategy if that offer is available.
1: I agree with you and on the basic premise for me is a little bit different for it. I mean, the value part is, is certainly a consideration. It is this, if Kyrie for what presumably health reasons, though, I mean, he will be an unrestricted free agent, so he can go wherever the hell he wants. If Kyrie were to leave or not be the player that he is, would Terry Rozier be capable of stepping in and being the starter, even if it's the fifth starter on a championship team. And for me, the answer to that is no. I think it's asking too much of, in terms of shot creation from everybody else. They do have some players that are capable of that. And remember that Boston's window is a little bit weird here because they have players like Al Horford who are better now than they're going to be in a couple of years. And then they have players like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown who will be presumably better in three or four years. But that's why the question matters is because if, if Rozier can't shoulder that burden even if they pay him backup money, it just gets really complicated for the Celtics. And he's not going to, you know, presumably he's not going to be on a real value contract. He's probably going to be properly paid or close to it. So if that's what you're looking at, trade him. See if somebody values him more highly than that. And if you do think that he can be that player, try to extend him Because then you can lock that in and he can get a lot of risk mitigation out of it.
0: Yeah, I think, he, you know, he's a good defender and he gets out in transition and, he, and he's really improved as far as making... Spot up shots. So I think you could get enough with Hayward, Brown, Tatum, and then Al Horford, obviously, is a great playmaker, also, if for some reason Kyrie were to go down or have to be traded himself. But that said, I don't see him as like a premium talent. And if there's a team out there that really values him that way, now who might that team be? You could say, I, I think he would be a pretty nice fit in Indiana. I think he would be a pretty good fit in Phoenix. You know, you don't want him as the lead dog, but kind of playing that george hill sort of role isn't quite of the size of george hill but teams that have a guard who can do a lot of the creation he could play off of that guy pretty well i think
1: i don't think this would be the right move for them now because i think utah needs more information but the jazz could be another option if they think he fits next to donovan mitchell be pretty interesting
0: yeah there are teams that could could use him now whether those teams have the ammo i mean phoenix certainly for example think of all the extra draft picks that they have and obviously ryan mcdonough uh, has a, a connection with the celtics organization so they have a good relationship to make a trade work there so you could see with the those picks that phoenix has it and there might be some celtics
1: well yet. and the and phoenix's arsenal of young guys yep. but danny age could feel like they can get something out of bender or chris or any number of guys yep. that, that maybe phoenix has i would yet.
0: imagine they would prefer future draft picks because they just want to kick the can as far down the road as possible, both in terms of having them as assets and assets that don't count anything against the cap. I really think that they we will see how much Smart ends up getting. But if they could just move Rozier and just dump that $3 million as well and get a future draft pick, that that would be useful just to, to avoid the tax this year. I mean, when you're looking at a long period of contention and going into the tax ahead of you, being able to get out of the tax this year is really helpful. I think more likely than not they probably end up paying it because they want to use the mini mid level as well but and i think a lot of celtics fans say you know Rozier he's so good like just giving him up for just a, a mid first round pick like you know the odds are with a mid first round pick you don't draft someone as good as terry Rozier. that's true but you really have to think of terry Rozier as terry Rozier on a 17 million dollar a year contract after next year and now how much is he worth you know that that's how you have to kind of think about it and those players tend to be kind of all right he's an okay starter but he's not gonna be a value on his contract and those type of players get first round picks uh maybe it could be a little bit more than that maybe it could be a young prospect as well or you could throw some seconds in or whatever to to equalize the value but i think once it got you know i wouldn't do it for the number 25 overall pick or a pick that projected to be there but you know uh, That's pretty much it. So real quickly, I know you got to go here. Anyone you would be targeting with the mini-mid-level exception if you were them?
1: Well, I mean, the most obvious thing would be if Baines left, they would need a center. Um, But I would say what they should try to look for for the taxpayer MLE would be floor spacing. I would be very interested in somebody, I mean, there are a couple different ways you can do that. So if you want to go more at the three, Joe Harris is a possibility there. I don't love that fit. I also thought about a Gerald Green return as a possibility, just maybe Boston can get him in a place like Houston did where it's a, you know, execute defensively, hit open shots. I also thought about going a little bit more to the four, Tolliver, Ilyasova, Mike Scott. And then if Brad Stevens is an actual coaching wizard, Omri Caspi for the minimum would be fascinating like this like maybe he can do what Steve Kerr could not and actually get him to take threes because Caspi at the minimum would actually be a decent fit with their team
0: what you need with the the mini mid level to me is about what you perceive your team needs to be and also are you trying to get out of the east or are you trying to win a championship because if you're trying to get out of the east I think Wayne Ellington would be a guy who would really help them right Uh, now his market might actually be higher than the mini mid level although if they went for more years then that could change. But he's a guy, you know, they just need one absolute dead bang knockdown shooter. You know, They, they someone who can help them avoid those droughts like they had in Game 7. Because they have a lot of, like, pretty good three-point shooters. But nobody is just like, oh my god, we just could not leave this dude. You know, other than maybe Kyrie at this point. But can Wayne Ellington play that much in a series against the Warriors? And eh, you know, maybe not. Uh, or against Houston if it's Houston. Or depending where LeBron ends up. But especially for the regular season and... You know, against a team like the Sixers or something like that, I think someone someone who shoots the ball like him would be who you might want to go to. I mean, I don't think this is the one team that doesn't need kind of more three and D type of wing players. um You know, they could also maybe you know, they don't have many needs other than that. Like one more versatile big would be nice too. We've said Noah Vonleh a lot. He's a guy who I think you know, would fit into kind of what they're trying to do maybe as well. Um, but yeah, alright. I think that's about it. anything else you want to say in these guys before we get going here.
1: I just want to mention the assets that they have beyond their own picks moving forward, just briefly. They have the better of the Kings and Sixers pick unless it is number one next season. Memphis' first is protected one through eight in 2019, one through six in 2020, and unprotected in 21. And then they have the Clippers' first, which is lottery protected in 2019 and 2020, and then would go into second rounders, I believe, if if it doesn't go in. So those are really high-end assets beyond all these players they have that have been so successful. So if an opportunity presents itself, Boston just has. They have more assets than they know what to do with. And remember, they traded uh, among other things. They traded the what ended up becoming the eighth overall pick for Kyrie Irving. So it's it's incredible the asset base that Danny Ainge has built. And we'll see how they use it.
0: Yeah, and really, unless you can get a guy who's a top five superstar, especially with how expensive this team is going to be going forward, maybe you just hold on to all those picks and just use them to continue to infuse young talent, especially given how well Brad Stevens has been able to develop these guys and how well they've drafted. You know, those picks might be worth more to them than to anyone else. So thanks again for listening. Thanks again to Sonos for sponsoring today's program. With uh, Sonos, you can control music with your voice. You can even have someone set up your Sonos speakers for free if you live in any major metropolitan area. Just order from Sonos.com, select Up and Running at checkout, and you may get 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any proto on sonos.com when you use the promo code dunk10 that's d-u-n-c-1-0 different code this time dunk10 d-u-n-c-1-0 software available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar.